calls me moody welcome to the moody show i hope you enjoy this episode of my podcast being moody episode five for this episode i think i'll tell you a couple of stories about my good friend stephen stephen uh flips houses he renovates them and flips them and i used to help him do the the demolition work and the construction work and that kind of thing and he was a He's a cool dude. He's a he's a cat of another color, though. Uh, his favorite artist is Frank Zappa, if, if that tells any of you anything. But anyhow, uh, so Stephen and I were working uh, actually on his own house, and we were putting up a shed in his backyard. I was helping him out. And uh, while we were there, it's a very, very nice neighborhood, very affluent neighborhood. And while we were there, an uh, older woman came along on her bicycle, it turns out it was a neighbor of Stevens, and uh, she had a she had a uh, a milk crate strapped to the front of her bicycle, and it had uh, wine and some snacks in it. <laughs> so she she rode by, broke out some wine for us. And we had some snacks and invited us. Uh, actually, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think she ever did really invite us over. But anyway, at the end of the day, we're nasty, dirty, sweaty, and. Uh, he says, uh, you know, we ought to go down and, and visit them. They live right down the street, you know. And uh, her and her husband. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? We'll go down there. Well, these people had arrived. They had a beautiful uh, home right on the water, like you could hit it with a rock. Uh, and anyway, we went over there, big, big house. Uh, her husband's there, she's there. We go inside, and everything in that place was white. It was white carpets, white couches, white walls, white counters. Everything was freaking white in this house, and we're filthy dirty. You know, they <clears throat> they weren't kind enough and gracious enough not to say anything, but I remember being very uncomfortable. Anyway, we weren't there long. We talked for a little while, and, uh, and at one point I asked to use the bathroom. and uh, So I got up and I left. I was only gone for a couple of minutes. When I got back, uh, the woman was standing there, you know, looking at Stephen, and they were talking about something, but you could tell they were tense. You know, I could see they were tense. So I walk over there, and she makes this really weird kind of ham-handed announcement. She said something like, well, now it's time for cooking of dinner, and my husband and I always cook dinner together, so you guys will have to go. And it was really weird, and and so I, you know, I set my beer down, and and you know, head started head toward the door, and uh, Stephen and I go outside, and <clears throat> right outside is the grill, and uh, her husband's out there grilling, and and we, I don't know, we tried again. I remember I did like trying to hang out and get him engaged in conversation, see if we can hang out for a little while. Nope, 
same hand-handed thing. It was like, you know, it's the time of making dinner and my wife and I make the dinner together, you know, and, and, and you got to go. So we left. And we were really scratching our heads like, what the heck happened? That It was a complete turnaround. She was such a sweet lady and so, so welcoming. And then it was really strange. They were like, I don't know, robots or something. For the next like three days, while Stephen and I were working, every once in a while, you know, I would, I would holler out, you know, we were, trying, we were you know, tossing back ideas uh, back and forth. Like, what, what happened? Why did they kick us out of the house? We'd only been there like 10 minutes. So, uh, you know, I started thinking maybe Steven had said something crazy. You know what I mean? Now, <clears throat> I got to tell you something about Steven. He's, uh, he's definitely a conspiracy theorist, uh, and he's, he's down for all of it. Aliens, lizard people, time travel, you name it. Loch Ness Monster, Deep State, he's, he's down. The whole thing, he's, he's in. So... I start working on a theory, you know, I was like, you know, I wasn't in the bathroom that long. Like, what did you say? You know? And, and he's like, no, I didn't think I said anything. And so we we're working and working and, and it would be like, you know, I'd be drilling a hole in something and I, you know, I'd stop and I'd say, did you sit on the white couch? And, and he'd holler back. No, I go back to work. You know, I'd be banging on something, you know, what did you, did you fart in the kitchen or something? And he said, no go back to banging anyway back and forth like this for three days finally on the third day we're working and from the other room steven says to me hey do you think it was when i told her how i believed that the uh wealthy elite were keeping alien technology away from us and keeping it for themselves <laughs> and i remember like yeah yeah steven i think that's exactly what it was He's like, why? I said, whose house do you think we were in? <laughs> we were in the house of the wealthy elite. You accuse them of harboring alien technology. I, I think that's definitely what happened. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess, you, I guess you're right. We were working on this guy's house one time. His name was Rick. And uh, <laughs> Rick. Rick had had his challenges. Uh, he was a twitchy fella. He he kind of squirmed around and scratched at himself like a I don't know like an alley cat on a trickle charge. He just he was he obviously had overcome some some challenges, probably heavy substance abuse. My guess was heroin. Anyway, uh, apparently Stephen has bought his house. He's got another house he's going to or something, and he's he's still kind of emptying the house out, and he's there, just sort of hopping from one foot to the other, you know. Anyhow, <clears throat> my job was going in and out of the house and bringing a bunch of stuff out and throwing it in the dumpster that Rick didn't want anymore, which is just about everything that was in there. I think he was moving out of state or something. So I'm, I'm going back and forth between the house and the dumpster. And out in the driveway, Rick is working on his car. I can't see him because the car is facing me and the driver's side door is open. But I can see his knees. He's kneeling down. It looks like he's down in the footwell of the driver's side. And one of the blinkers is going. And I only mention that because it, it got really weird later. But the whole time he's in there, the, the blinker's going. Right? So here comes Stephen, and he's going to go over and try and talk to Rick. Stephen's a little socially awkward, so sometimes it's kind of entertaining to see, the, see him engage other people that aren't you know kind of ready for his particular flavor. Anyway, so he goes over there, and uh, 
I hear him talking. I'm going back and forth to the dumpster. I hear him talking to, to Rick. And uh, he starts the conversation off with something like, um, working on the car, huh? And, and nothing from Rick and just the blinker. Right. So I go back and forth. I go back and forth. Steven's still standing there. He tries again. He says, uh, working on the electrical, huh? Nothing from Rick. Back and forth a couple more times. Steven takes a third swing at it. Working on the blinkers, huh? So eventually Steven gives up. He went out like the front of the house. He's working out there, front yard. So I go back and forth a couple more times. And every once in a while, I look over and same thing. Just Rick kneeling on the ground, down in the footwell on the driver's side. And that blinker just... And I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain why, but it just started to look ominous to me, like the way it was just blinking. I don't know. It was like something out of a Stephen King movie or something. Anyway, I went over there to check on Rick because I, I started to worry, you know. And sure enough, um, it doesn't look good. Rick's just sort of limp down in the wheel well, I mean the footwell of the car. His glasses are off. His phone is off. It's on the floor, and he's not moving. And, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't like wildly surprised. It, it was obvious that Rick had had a great many challenges in life, and the notion that his body might give up on him at any moment wasn't a, com, you know, a completely outlandish idea. So, I, I mean, I remember kind of sighing and being like, yeah, of course. So I go out front, and, uh, <laughs> and Stephen's out there working. And I go out there, and I said, uh, and I don't know why... I thought it could wait. Like, I didn't want to interrupt. I was like, hey, Stephen, uh, you got a minute? <laughs> he says, he says, yeah, what's going on? I said, uh, remember Rick? And, and he says, yeah. I said, well, Rick's dead. And Stephen said, what? I just talked to him. I said, yeah, no, I know, I watched. Uh, I said, and to be honest with you, when you say that, it just makes him sound more dead. Like, that's exactly what people say about dead people. Like, he is so full of life. Yeah, no, he's he's dead. And and Stephen was like, I just had a conversation with him. And, and I said, no, no, you didn't. Uh, you talked, and, uh, and Rick just lay there in the car. And, and so Stephen's just like staring at me for a second. And he says, show me. So I, t I take Stephen over there to the car. And, you know, there's Rick flopped down in the footwell. And we both stood there with our arms crossed looking down at him. I don't know what Stephen was thinking, but I was thinking, like, now what, you know? And uh, Stephen says, I think he's alive. Get him out of there. So I'm like, all right. So I... I grab him by the belt and I pull him out of the wheel well of the, of the car and immediately Rick wakes up and, it, and his voice is just like this. He's like, hey, I was trying to take a nap. I'm like, what? A nap? I'm like, dude, I almost broke your ribs resuscitating you. What do you mean a nap? He, he fell asleep. He fell asleep in the wheel well of the car. His phone rings. He answers it. And apparently whoever was on the end, other end of the phone call was like, so how you doing? Because the first thing Rick said was, well, I'm not dead.
that became a catchphrase for us. Uh, it was it was appropriate on a number of occasions. Every once in a while, one of us would just look at the other one and go, "Remember, Rick." So I've got a little uh, a little bonus tidbit for you, um, and this is not as humorous, but I think uh, something that you might enjoy hearing. I'm going to share a, a letter with you that I wrote. I'm going to read a letter I wrote to the editor of the Washington Times. The letter is titled, United 93, Well Worth Watching. Dated Saturday, May 6th, 2006. This is in reference to the movie, of course. It begins, I went to see United 93. It was good, I think, for us, myself and those who saw the movie with me, to relive the events of September 11. There were perhaps a dozen of us. I don't imagine for a moment that I was the only one fighting the desire, the visceral drive, to stand up and shout things during the movie. All sorts of things. I wanted to give voice to my hatred as the assailants spoke to God, thanking him for the opportunity to commit atrocities. I wanted to shout with triumph as the passengers stormed the cockpit. I wanted to wail with grief as passengers, mothers, brothers, daughters, called home for the last time. I wondered if I would find the words I wanted to be my last to my loved one or my friend. In the end, though, I and everyone else in the theater said nothing. As the lights came up, we sat perfectly still, absolutely silent. No one rustled candy wrappers, no one got up or took his coat from the seat next to him. No one spoke, not even in a whisper. We sat stunned and empty. Stunned by what we had witnessed. Perhaps stunned that any of us could forget a day like that one. Empty because lost innocence leaves a hole behind. Whatever anyone else ever says of Americans, I am grateful that we are the kind of people who stand up. We stand on battlefields of our own and those of others, and we stand up in the aisle of the plane when that's what needs to be done. It's not always popular to stand up, to say enough is enough. But when it needs to be said, Americans say it. And I'm proud of that. Finally, I want to share with you the single most important thing I learned. The fact that United Flight 93 was flown into the ground means that the terrorists underestimated the passengers. I only pray that we continue to rise above the fear and cowardice and deficiency of resolve that they attribute to us. We are not what they think we are. I encourage everyone to see this movie. Don't go in the hopes of being entertained. But don't pass it up for fear of graphic violence. There's very little of that. Go see the movie for the same reason you might linger near the grave of the unknown soldier. Or read a book about Helen Keller. Because people who have sacrificed much, who have risen above much, ought to be remembered. Often. Tim Moody, Brunswick, Maine.